0: Well, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open up there. Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter in the Bible. While you're turning there, some of you might know this, we are in a series um, where we have been going through spiritual disciplines for the summer. So we've spent two weeks on each spiritual discipline. We've gone through six of them. Um, Each discipline we've talked about as a corporate practice. Because these are the things that mark us as a community, that we participate in together as a community. And we've talked about it as an individual practice. And we've looked to scripture as the source for our practices of spiritual disciplines. And we've said that spiritual disciplines are physical things, physical practices that create space in our hearts for the work of the Holy Spirit. For the inner transformation of the Holy Spirit. Sound good? So today, we're doing something a little different. We are talking about creativity as a spiritual discipline. Now, if I had to guess, the room is probably divided when I say that because half of us are like, finally, we're talking about creativity in the church and the other half of us are like, really, we're talking about creativity? So um, Genesis chapter one, buckle up. We are gonna read the whole chapter. It's gonna be a lot of reading, but I would highly encourage you if you've got it on your app or if you've got a paper Bible to read along so that you know that what I'm reading and what I'm saying is actually founded in scripture. So starting the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the ground land and the gathered waters. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. We're halfway. Let's go back in. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day and the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vaults of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, that they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and said it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. God, we ask that we would encounter you through your word, that we would be formed into your likeness through your word, through your Holy Spirit meeting us in your word. And God, I ask that any of my ideas, anything that's just from me, that it would be revealed, noticed, so it can be rejected and forgotten. But what is from you and faithful to your word, I ask that it would echo in our hearts, that we would be made more like you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Jen, my wife and I, we took a two week road trip through the West to celebrate our 10 year anniversary. Any of you like road trips? Yeah, a couple of... <laughs> very, very mixed reactions. Yeah, we drove like 6,000 miles or so, spent between 60 and 80 hours in the car over the course of 14 days. Some of you, that sounds awesome. Some of you, that sounds like genuine torture. Uh, but we loved it. It was for our 10-year anniversary. Our anniversary is actually in April, but it always falls on Easter, and I work in a church, so we were never able to take a trip then, so we took it a couple of weeks ago. And on, we had an incredible, incredible trip. In fact, I want to show you some pictures and tell you some stories. And this, I, I'm not trying to just... Brag. I'm not trying to use my platform to brag about a cool trip we took. I promise there's a point to this. Um, but it was remarkable because we took a we took a two week trip, 14 days, and nothing went wrong. <laughs> nothing went wrong for 14 days. There has never been 14 days in my life where nothing has went wrong. But for 14 days, over 6,000 miles. 80 hours in the car or so, nothing went wrong. It was crazy. We were able to do a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff. We went to some national parks. And there were a couple of moments on the trip that I want to tell you about. And actually, there are going to be pictures. These are pictures that Jen took. She's the photographer. Um, the first one is from Arches National Park. Now, uh, ignore the resolution on these TVs. These TVs have high contrast. So you can't really see what it was like. When we were in Arches, we found down a dirt road, you had to have all-wheel drive to get down, we found a trail where there was nobody else, which Arches is one of the most popular national parks, so it was crazy that we found a trail where we were alone. But we went back on this trail, we scrambled over rocks and had to do some climbing and and some uh, pathfinding a little bit, follow cairns through the desert. We hiked a mile and a half or so back through the desert, and we found this arch that was completely alone, There was not another person around. And and we sat under this red rock arch, and you can't quite see it in this picture, but as far as your eye can capture, it's red rock towers, and green and purple sage, and the LaSalle Mountains, snow-capped in the distance. It's hard to describe what being in that place is like. It almost feels offensive to try to describe what it's like. To be in a place like that and see what you see in that place. Because there's no words I can come up with that match the feeling that you get when you are forced to see something that big and expansive. We were able to camp in the Grand Canyon along the East Rim in the Desert View Campground, if any of you have seen that. The next picture is from the Grand Canyon, And once again, because of the resolution and the contrast on these pictures, what you can't see is the way every corner and crevasse in the canyon was illuminated purple and blue as the sun set. We sat on the far eastern corner of the canyon, right on the rim, and for 90 minutes that felt like years, watched the sunset from the first change of color in the sky when The light was mirrored on the Colorado River in the bottom of the canyon and reflected back up through the walls in a colorway that I've never seen before. And we watched as every minute went by, so subtly the colors changed. And the light would hit the canyon walls in a different way. And the dust from the desert would rise up out of the canyon and it would be illuminated like smoke at a U2 concert. It was incredible. I don't know how to describe what it was like to sit there for almost two hours and watch light disappear over the largest canyon in the world. And then, I had never been in a place like this before. It was my first time at the Grand Canyon. It was also my first time in a dark sky park. Have any of you been in a dark sky park before? A couple of us. A dark sky park is where there is no light pollution whatsoever so that you can actually see the Milky Way... With no magnification. You can look up. And this is going to sound ridiculous. I didn't know how many stars there are. Until we watched the light disappear. And then looked up. And saw that every ounce of beauty that had disappeared over the horizon. Had reappeared above us. We weren't even aware. It was incredible. Have you ever had a moment like that where you observed something where you experienced something that was so beautiful or so good or so meaningful that trying to describe what happened in the moment almost seems offensive to the moment where where you see something and you you can't really explain why you feel different after it happened but you do maybe maybe that happened for you uh with music maybe you heard a song and you can it went beyond the words it wasn't just the lyrics but, but the way it was played the melody the the feeling the emotion the 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 moment of life that you were in when you heard the song the first time that song means something so much more than the lyrics of that song mean it seems to have defined a season of your or maybe maybe it was a painting you know the theologian henry Nouwen wrote an entire book after seeing rembrandt's prodigal son And he sat in front of the painting for hours and hours, and it changed him. Some of you have a hard time imagining a painting changing your life. Maybe it was food. Some of y'all don't think food is spiritual? And you're wrong. (laughs) Food is spiritual. Listen, I have been to church and restaurants before, Um, mostly barbecue restaurants and taco shops. Um, There are two spiritual foods, it's barbecue and tacos. That's my opinion, but I think I'm right. Um, Have you had a moment like that? Where you saw something that was beautiful, you you experienced something that was good, and you can't explain why. But something so deeply valuable happened just because it was beautiful and just because it was good. When we talk about creativity as a spiritual discipline, we're talking about a practice, we're talking about a posture that we can take as a church and something we can do as individuals. But it's founded on a deeper truth. It's founded on the idea that beauty is an end in and of itself. That something can be good and something can speak to us, whether it accomplishes anything or not. That there is something about beauty and creativity and goodness that speaks beyond words to something that is core to who we are as human beings. And honestly, I could, I could probably spend some time researching psychology and talk about why beauty interacts with the human psyche in such an interesting way. But we can look at the very beginning of creation and see that goodness is an end in and of itself. Because God created the world... And he said that it was good. And if you sit at the Grand Canyon or you listen to a song that changes your life, whether it was a worship song or not, I think you're forced to wrestle with an idea. And that idea is that maybe the only reason that exists is because it was beautiful and good and that was enough. Because God didn't have to create a world with Grand Canyons in it. And he didn't have to create light that could refract in colors that we would have never imagined. But he did it because he himself values beauty and goodness. Now, creativity is often not talked about in the modern church. Now, that's unique to the modern church because for much of human history... Um, For much of Christian history, at least, the church was the center of art and, and the center of culture. In fact, for a long time, even in American history, the greatest orators, the greatest musicians actually came from and were platformed first within the church. But for a while, we have really rejected art and creativity. I think part of that is because when we look at scripture, we can't really find a place where Jesus says, do art, be creative. There's not like a, a clear, explicit instruction to do that. And, and we really value being faithful to scripture. We value that at the fold. We want to be faithful to scripture. So it's not explicitly in the text. So we've kind of overlooked it. But interestingly enough, Francis Schaeffer, who's one of the, the giants of modern Christian thought, wrote a book called Art and the Bible. And in the book he said this. The quote's going to be up on the screen. As a Christian, we know why a work of art has value. Why? First... Because a work of art is a work of creativity, and creativity has value because God is the creator. The first sentence in the Bible is the declaration that the creator created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, I would like to propose that the rest of scripture operates on the assumption that creativity and beauty is part of being human and is a created intent. And good in the world. You know, I've read Genesis chapter 1 hundreds of times. And for a long time, I think, even though I've read the text and I know what, what the words were, I intuited somehow that the way this story unfolds is that God creates something and then he calls it good. Because God is God, he's all powerful, he decides what's good and what isn't. So he makes a tree and he says, that is a good tree because I want it to be a good tree. And then he makes a fish and he says, good fish, right? I imagine that that's what God's doing in the world. He is calling things good. But interestingly enough, that's not what the story says. The story doesn't say God makes something and decides that it's good. It says he makes something and sees that it's good. Do you see the difference in that? It says, God put the stars in the sky, he put the fish in the sea, and he saw that it was good. Have you ever been cooking something, and you taste it, and you say, ooh, that's good? That's the creation story. The refrain in Genesis chapter 1 is God the creator creating things that are beautiful and complicated and interesting and loving creating it, and seeing that it was good, and delighting in the goodness of the things he created. If you read it through that lens, it almost seems giddy that God is excited about what he's creating. In fact, there's a theologian, G.K. Chesterton, who was a theologian in uh, Britain in about 1920 or so, the early 20th century, and he writes in his book, Orthodoxy, about creation, and he poses this idea. He says, what if the sun doesn't rise every morning? Because it has to, but what if God every morning just says, do it again? Because he hasn't gotten tired of it yet. He says, what if every daisy doesn't look the same because daisies have to look the same? What if God just hasn't gotten tired of making daisies yet? And he loves making them so much that he makes every single one the same way. And then he goes on to say, we in our sin have grown old. We are bored of monotony, but our our father is younger than we. And still joys in the simple recreation and creation. What a beautiful idea. There are a couple problems when we talk about creativity, though. And one is that if, if I had to guess, I would say that a lot of us in this room, in fact, I, I, I'm pretty confident in this, that there are a lot of us in this room that have had a creative hobby in some way, or maybe a creative career. You, uh, you're you an artist, uh, maybe you write music, you play music. It could be something different. It could be cooking. It could have been sports because you can be creative through the process of sports um, and physical interaction with the world around you. That's a creative process as well. But you have loved doing something creative and you've taken joy in that. Maybe you wanted it to be your career. Maybe it was just a hobby that you had for fun. But if I had to guess, I would put a lot of money on the fact you've probably heard somebody along the way say, I mean, it's great that you're so good at that, but when are you going to get a real job? I mean, it's so cool that you're talented and you do those drawings and stuff, but when are you going to do something that matters? You know, don't you want to give your time to something significant? Because we as a culture, Makoto Fujimura, who's a fine artist and Christian author, points this out in a really insightful and honestly really uncomfortable way. We as a culture have bought into an idea that something has to accomplish something for it to be valuable. That's called utilitarian thinking. We are a utilitarian culture. Everything that we do has to have a utility to it. It needs to accomplish something. So if we want to do something for fun, it's so easy for us to think, can I turn this into a side hustle? Because if I'm going to spend time on it, it should make me money. If I'm going to spend time on it, I should be able to monitor. I should be able to do something because we as a culture can't imagine something being good because it's good. Or something being good because it's beautiful. We can only imagine something being good if it accomplishes some pre-existing something for us if it can benefit us in some way outside of our experience. But God made a world and called it good and seemed to really like it just because it was good. There's a good chance if you're a Christian artist, if you're a Christian and an artist, then maybe you have tried to make art at some point, but you have felt pressured by the church and by Christians to make sure your art accomplishes something Christian. Christian. You know, there is Christian art, and there is good Christian art, but there's not a lot of good Christian art. And I think big part of the reason for that is because Christian artists feel so much pressure to accomplish something in their art that they feel like if they're going to paint something, there's got to be a cross in it somewhere. If they're going to write a song, it has to be a Christian song, because a, a song can't just be good, for it to give glory to God. A song has to accomplish something. A painting can't just be a painting. It has to have a Bible verse written on it for it to accomplish something. We have allowed utility to affect our interaction with our created intent and actually to reduce our creativity in many times. Now listen, if you are an artist, a beautiful, wonderful, faithful thing that you can do is tell the story of Jesus through your art, That's a wonderful thing to do. If you can find a way to be creative and to represent Christ, if you want to play professional football and put John 3.16 on your cheeks, you can do that. That is perfectly fine. That's a wonderful thing to do. But it's not required for that to be good. And it's not required for it to bring glory to God. Because we need good songs as much as we need Christian songs. And we need beautiful paintings as much as we need Christian paintings. And yes, we might need paintings and poems that reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, but we also need paintings and poems that reflect on the emotion of grief. You remember earlier when we said the spiritual discipline of creativity is built on this idea, this foundational truth that beauty is good and that beauty and creativity communicate to us at a deeper level sometimes than even words can communicate themselves. So sometimes in painting something that's a reflection on grief, you actually communicate more than you ever could if you had written a research paper on grief. Some of us, you've you've heard that song or you've seen that sunset and you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't yet, I hope you will. Beauty is an end in and of itself. But There's another problem, another issue that we face in this, and that is, once again, if I had to guess, I would say that there are a lot of people in this room who what you're thinking is, CJ, this is great. I mean, art is good and cool and stuff. I'm just not like an art person. You know, I'm not creative. When I draw stick figures, they don't even look like figures. You know, they're just sticks. That's me, for the record. Like, when you, you're not the type of person who feels like you understand poetry or whatever, go to an art gallery for fun or anything like that. You just don't think of yourself as a creative person. You think of yourself as a really practical person. This is the way you interact with the world. and that's. So, you're not really creative, so why would you try to be creative? Hey, listen, I get that. I understand that. Like I said, if especially if you're going to reduce creativity to visual art, then I'm not a creative person at all because I, I cannot physically draw a straight line. It's impossible. I can't even take good pictures. Jen is the photographer in our relationship. Sometimes I get lucky. Portrait mode helps me out a lot, but I can't even find the angles right to take reasonable pictures. Um, So I understand. I get it. I understand why we would feel like we're not creative. But you are. Francis Schaeffer said more than the quote we read earlier. I want to read the rest of it to you. He said, Second, an artwork has value as a creation because man is made in the image of God. Humanity is made in the image of God, and therefore man not only can love and think and feel emotion, but also has the capacity to create. Being in the image of the creator, we are called upon to have creativity. See, there's this second repercussion of our utilitarian culture that actually undermines our ability to really fully experience what it means to be human. And it's that we feel like it has to be up to some standard for it to be useful in creativity. You might really like to express yourself through words but you feel like you're not very good at it. So why would you do it if you're not good at it? You would like to sketch or draw to express your creativity, but you don't want to do it because you feel like you're not good at it, and you have to be good to a certain level in order to be it, for you to be justified in spending the time to do it. But here's the thing. You are made in the image of God as a creative Being, And that doesn't mean you have to sketch or you have to draw or you have to write poetry, but that means that you are made in the image of a creator. And part of the way you express the image of that creator on earth is to create, to create with your hands, to create with your minds, to create goodness. We reflect God's character and we celebrate his goodness through the creative process. And listen, I have experienced this myself because I regularly fall prey to the temptation to not do something because I'm not good at it. Some of you know me well enough to know I am obnoxiously competitive, like competitive to the point that I don't play if I can't win or at least don't have a good chance to. So we did, we did an event last year where we used drawing and painting as a way to express and connect with the Holy Spirit. And I was honestly kind of dreading the event because I'm not good at it. And honestly, I thought when we got to that event that there were going to be a whole bunch of dudes like me. I was very much stereotyping. There were going to be a bunch of dudes like me who were going to be like, yeah, I'm here because I'm, I'm supposed to be, but I'm not going to get anything out of this. And I watched myself and other people that do not consider themselves creative people draw something that reflected an emotion and do it prayerfully and then cry as they expressed what the Holy Spirit had spoken to them when they were able to get past explanation and into expression. Because it doesn't have to be good. Not much of the work I was doing was going to get framed and put on the fridge. But the Holy Spirit met me in the the act. And the creative process expressed something of who I was. That the Holy Spirit met me in. God created beauty and good in the world. Do you know he also expressed himself in his creation? Because he made us in his image. Not only did he express beauty and goodness, he expressed himself in creation by making us in his image. You were made in the image of a creative God. Creativity is part of the image of God in you. And it does not have to live up to some standard of utility. It doesn't have to be good enough to sell. It doesn't have to be painting or drawing or sketching. Creativity can be Enjoying creativity. It can be going out in nature and observing and experiencing beauty. It can, be create, it can be creating or drawing or photographing. In giving and in receiving creativity, we reflect God's character and we move closer to the image in whom we were created. Paul in the New Testament would say that creation itself reflects God's character and his glory so that no one can be held faultless. In other words, he looks at the beauty of creation and says that creation itself is enough for us to know God. So beauty itself reflects the character and goodness of God. And when we participate in it, the Holy Spirit meets us and we are moved, we are formed. Now, this has been kind of a different sermon Because every other spiritual discipline we've talked about is... Pretty obviously a spiritual discipline. We've talked about scripture, we've talked about giving, we've talked about uh, prayer, uh, we've talked about serving. We're going to talk about confession as our last spiritual discipline. Most of us, if you're familiar with scripture, would probably intuit those, those seem familiar. Creativity is less often considered a spiritual discipline. So I wanted to spend a significant amount of time this morning explaining why for us to be faithful to scripture, because that is what we seek to do. We are not trying to put ourselves above Scripture or above Jesus. We are trying to fully come under his lordship as he is revealed in Scripture and meet the Holy Spirit in the process. So I wanted to spend a lot of time explaining why creativity is so significant. And as a community, when we become a community that celebrates and appreciates And pursues creativity, we become a community that more fully reflects the image of God to one another and to the world around us. Because beauty and creativity communicate at a level beyond what simple words can do. We need followers of Jesus who are committed to, with whatever skill set God's given them, to pursue creativity as hobby or as profession, to appreciate beauty and to celebrate the beauty of the world around us. Because in doing so, we point people to the creator. In doing so, we more fully tell the story of Jesus. And I think that there are a lot of people, this is my personal opinion, but I think that there are a lot of people who have looked at the story They've looked at the message of Christianity, and they've said, that's a lot of interesting information, but the life doesn't look that good. There's not a lot of beauty there. Because oftentimes, in our rejection of creativity and our pursuit of utility, we have missed out on reality (laughs) and real human emotion and experience. And we not only explain the goodness of our God and the life he created, we display it when we celebrate and experience and display creativity. And not only that, we are able to display the tension of life in which joy and pain exist at the same time. We've been saying for a long time at the fold that two things can be true at the same time. Life can be hard and God can be good. Those don't have to contradict themselves. I can be experiencing pain and grieving and still celebrating with someone else at the same time. Those don't have to contradict. Nothing tells that truth which is core to the story of Scripture. You cannot look at Jesus on the cross and not see that grief and beauty exist in the same place at the same time because there is nothing more beautiful than our God who gave his life away in pain to reconcile us to himself. When we embrace creativity, we tell that story. I want to close with one quick story. A little over a year ago, uh, in March of 2022, my wife and I experienced the worst week of our lives. A lot of you know what I'm talking about, you were here. After that, we uh, took another road trip, um, a shorter one, because we just had to get away. We drove to southwest Texas, to the Big Bend National Park area, near the desert. Big desert guy, big fan of the desert. We drove to the desert. And days after the objectively worst day of our lives, I remember waking up in our tent And we didn't have the rain fly on. It was just mesh over us so you could see. And I woke up at probably 4.30 a.m., something like that. And I saw the first light in the sky, just barely purple on the horizon. I knew the sun was rising. And for the next probably four hours, I dozed off. And every time I would awaken, the sky would change from purple in the distance to the pouring red and orange of sunrise until eventually the sun was over the desert peaks around us and illuminating the basin we were in. It was one of the most beautiful moments I remember. And it didn't fix anything. It did not make how hard the week before had been any easier. But something happened when we watched the sunrise That allowed me to feel in a way that I can't even explain, but I can remember that God is still good, even though this is bad. Something about seeing that beauty communicated to my soul in a way that words couldn't, that allowed me to, without going insane, live in the tension of the joy of the Lord and the oftentimes painful reality of life. We need beauty. We need creativity to be fully human. We don't have to be good at it according to anyone's standard. But we move towards the God in whose image we are created when we pursue creativity. So we're going to close in worship. And there are some ways around the the room that you can worship through creativity. In fact, just enjoying music that sounds beautiful is a participation in creativity. You can sketch on the wall here. You can, in the back, we have a table that's got journals to journal prayers or write poetry. Um, In the back, directly behind you, there is a table that's got prayers that have been prayed by Christians throughout history. If it would be helpful for you to, to celebrate creativity through someone else's words. And you can use those. You can sketch um, at your seat in your journal. You can write. You can just write the words that come to your mind. Or, once again, you can celebrate the creativity of others by just standing and singing along and enjoying the beauty, enjoying the fact that God made a world where music sounds good and we can create beautiful things together. But let's choose to take a step towards the God in whose image we were created by creatively worshiping. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We trust that you are good. And God, I am so grateful that you created a beautiful world. I know you didn't have to, but it brings you joy. I know you didn't have to create a world that was full of so many beautiful and complicated and rich things, but you take joy in beauty and goodness, God. So let us be people who let go of the need to constantly prove and accomplish and make something useful, even though those are good and wonderful things because your word celebrates hard work and accomplishment as well. But let us be people who resist the urge to define ourselves by what we accomplish all the time, but who are able to enjoy the simple beauty and goodness of the world you have created and the creativity you have given us. Meet us in the process, God, because we are here for you to surrender to you and be formed by you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.